this month, we give thanks for the great faithfulness of our God, of our Lord Jesus. And today, we give thanks to that great cloud of witnesses that certainly has gone before us, but also that great cloud of witnesses that we live among today. If you take your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 12, and I promise that we will be there shortly. But this last week, we celebrated, if you would, October 31st. And I reminded last Sunday night, in honor of this kind of season and cultural event in the life of our, our, our culture, uh, we hosted Trunk or Treat. Now, I don't know if it was our first ever Trunk or Treat, but it was a wonderful Trunk or Treat. And we had, a, many of you came out and, and we invited all those children in our, in our community, our neighborhood, those in our, our faith-based ministries and, and our, our Wednesday night and Sunday morning programs to come. And it was just a special time of fellowship and just of being out and present in our community. October 31st is one of those special days in the life of our community. But do you remember what Halloween means? It comes from uh, words that mean all hallows, Eve. For you see, historically, in the life of the church, November 1st has been that day that we as a church have celebrated the cloud of witnesses. That we have taken time to celebrate those who have gone before us. And so those celebrations uh, have begun on the eve of All Saints Day. And uh, we recognize that through Halloween. Did you know and realize that this past Halloween, October 31st, 2017, marked one of the most significant anniversaries in the history of the world? Were you aware that last Tuesday was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation? You see, the Reformation began on October the 31st, 1517 with Martin Luther, a Catholic priest who was frustrated with what he considered some of the, the corruption within the Catholic Church, was frustrated with the things going on, and he posted 95 theses to reflect his frustration. And in that day, what he was doing was an invitation to discuss and debate these issues that he had. Now, you might say, what was the tipping point for Martin Luther? Well, the tipping point came through a person named jo Johann or Johannes Tetzel, who was given the title the Grand Commissioner of Indulgences in Germany. And what was taking place in the church to raise money to build, I believe it was St. Peter's Basilica, they were raising money, and the way that they would do that is they would sell forgiveness, or they would sell salvation in the form of these indulgences. And what Tetzel would go around saying is that the Pope has authorized me to, to sell forgiveness and salvation, and whatever the Pope forgives by you giving your gift, then God is bound to forgive as well. Tetzel would talk about your forefathers and foremothers who were still struggling in a place called purgatory. And he would preach and he would say, and if you listen very carefully, you can hear them screaming and crying out for relief and for mercy. And if you'll give a gift, 
then they will be freed from that place of purgatory. In fact, he created a little rhyme that went with it. Certainly we've translated it into our language, but his little rhyme went something like this. As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul from purgatory springs. Luther was concerned about this possibility of buying your freedom and your salvation and your forgiveness. In fact, one gentleman went up to Tetzel and said, Can I buy forgiveness of a future sin? And Tetzel thought about it for a minute and he said, Why, of course, if you'll make your offering right now. And so the man gave his offering to Tetzel, and sure enough, that same man beat and robbed Tetzel as he was leaving with his bounty. And he said, by the way, this is the sin for which you have forgiven me in which I bought my indulgence. It was this type of corruption that drove Luther to post his 95 theses and birthed the most significant religious reformation in history. And so as we consider and think about that great cloud of witnesses today, we certainly must remember the importance of the 500th anniversary which just took place this week of Luther posting his 95 Theses. Today, we give thanks for that great cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 begins, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him, for consider Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you, so that we, would not grow weary and lose heart. The Scripture tells us that we are to give thanks because we have such a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. Now it's interesting that today, we don't talk about the great cloud, we talk about the iCloud, right? And other derivations of our modern technology. That iCloud is that place of storage and of data that, who knows where it's at, right? But it just seems like it surrounds us, and as long as we have enough bars, we have access to that cloud of information and data and whatever it is that we've put on the cloud. In many ways, I think we have this picture of this great cloud of witnesses. This great cloud that has gone before us, that their influence, their, their lives, their testimony surrounds us in a way that is intended to bring encouragement and life and direction and wisdom. But notice here, as we've talked about many times, that this chapter begins with, with a therefore. 
And so we would ask the question, well, well, who are these great witnesses? Who, who make up this great cloud of witnesses? And in order to, to understand who that great cloud is, we look to the therefore, which always causes us to, to look back a few verses or a few chapters. And all we have to do is go back to the beginning of chapter 11 to understand who this great cloud of witnesses are. So turn back with me. Just one chapter begins, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men, and as you read the list, there's women, the men and the women of old gained approval. These men and these women of old, these men and these women of old who live by faith, they are the great cloud of witnesses. Now, we've just finished a a series in the Old Testament, and we talked about creation, and we talked about exodus, we talked about exile, we talked about covenant, and as we go through this great roll call of the Old Testament, those are the themes that we see come out here. Look in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the world was prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. The great cloud of witnesses points us back to that time where God created the world. In verse 8 and 9 and 10, we see that Abraham, the one that that initial covenant was made, is a part of that great cloud of witnesses. In chapter, in, in chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, we see that Moses, the one who led the Exodus, is a part of this great cloud of witness who led God's people for freedom and liberation from Egypt. And in verses 32 through 34, we see the roll call of those prophets, those prophets who spoke out in that difficult time of exile and yet called God's faithful people to continue to honor the covenant because God would honor his covenant. And these faithful prophets are those that are also a part of this great cloud of witnesses. Oh, church, do you see that the scriptures are filled with the stories of those who now form this cloud of witnesses around us? So that the writer of Hebrews says, now that we understand that this cloud of witnesses is around us, we can lay aside every encumbrance. We can lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. You see, church, the purpose of the great cloud of witnesses is to encourage us, is to inspire us, is to inform us so that we can lay aside that which hinders us, that which tangles us, that which keeps us from running and moving forward in the life that God has called us to. The great cloud of witnesses allows us to lay aside the sin which encumbers and entangles, which trips us up and causes us to fall. We no longer have to be encumbered by that because this great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on to run and be faithful. 
I didn't make the game last Saturday night. Some of you, many of you were there, and, and many of us watched on TV as during one of the, the commercial breaks after the, the, the a touchdown, there was a picture of the Sooner Schooner stuck on the field. And unhitch the wagons didn't become a call to victory, but it became a call to unhitch the wagons, right? Because why? Because something entangled the schooner. And it was stuck. It couldn't proceed. It couldn't complete and finish the race that was before it. And so they had to come out and they had to unhitch the wagon. They had to untangle the wagon so that they could make their way off the field. And church, that's what sin does to us. It, it's missing the mark. And in some way, that wagon missed its mark as it made that turn too sharply. And it had to become untangled and unencumbered so that it can continue, so that the game could continue. Church, we are called to lay aside those things which encumber us. And the cloud of witnesses that's gone before us enables us to do that. So, therefore, the Scripture continues, run with endurance. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, the life that God has given us. You see, unencumbered and untangled, freed from our sin, we can now run. And we can run with endurance. The British Olympian, Eric Littell, who ran in the 1924 Olympics, his story made famous through the, the classic movie Chariots of Fire, at least in the movie, he offered this wor these words that said, When I run, I feel the presence of God. And what a beautiful story for us today. You see, it's that cloud of witnesses that frees us and enables us to run life as God has called us to. For it's only when we are running unencumbered and unhindered that we, in our unique expression of life, can experience and feel the pleasure of God because we are running and living unencumbered by the sin and the struggles of this world. And we find pleasure in running and living life that way. And so we run and we don't quit and we persevere and we do not stop. We complete and finish the race. Therefore, the author of Hebrews tells us that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on the cloud. We fix our eyes on Jesus, for He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the finish line. Jesus is the goal, not the cloud. We fix our eyes on Him. And so where do we see Jesus? Well, he, Jesus himself tells us that we see him when we see the poor, when we see the hungry, and when we feed the poor and when we feed the hungry, we see Jesus and we minister and nurture him. But we also see Jesus as around us. We see others reaching out to serve and to minister and to free those around us. You see, the great cloud is vital. It encourages us. It strengthens us. It enables us. But the cloud is not the finish line. It's keeping our eyes 
on Jesus as we run and as we complete the race that He has called us to. The cloud inspires us to run as God would have us to run. The cloud offers wisdom, insight. But the truth is, is that many times we are inattentive to the cloud around us. It's sad so many times as we reflect on these families and on these loved ones who've gone over this last year. At times to sit and to, to grieve with the family and to remember with the family and to realize that there are those family members who have no idea about the faith, about the cloud that could surround them because they have run and they have rejected, they have become entangled in their own life and in their own sin. You see, it's the great cloud of those who've gone before us who direct us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And yet, too often, we do not listen and we do not follow the witness and example of those who've gone before us. Therefore, our ability to run and to endure and to live the life that God would have us to is hindered as well. For example... How many of us were really aware of the 500th anniversary of the birth of the Reformation? Probably not many of us. But this great cloud of Reformation continues to impact and change our lives today. Martin Luther was one who, who first made an important deal about the priesthood of all believers. That there's not this separation between priest and laity, but that we're all called to be priests. We're all called to serve. We're all called to read and interpret and live out Scripture. And that we will be held accountable and responsible before God on our own. A fundamental value and principle of Baptist life. John Calvin. Many of you know him through some of the Reformed teachings that, that are still today. He talked about the, the perseverance of the saints. In, in our own Baptist tradition in life, you've heard the term, once saved, always saved. Talking about the assurance of faith and the assurance of salvation that we have in Christ. It comes from this great cloud of witnesses through the Reformation. Ulrich Zwingli, the Swiss reformer was the first to really begin to talk about the Lord's Supper as a memorial that we don't literally eat the body and drink the blood of Christ. And it was Zwingli who had the courage to say, we, we want to take the Lord's Supper in great honor and remembrance of what Christ did as a memorial to His sacrifice and as a call to live faithfully the life of Christ. Again, a principle of the Lord's Supper that we today as Baptists cherish and practice. The radical reformers that came out of that period, the Anabaptists, were one of those first groups that really committed themselves to, to believers' baptism. To saying that we don't baptize infants, that we baptize those who come to faith in Christ, to those that receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. As they make that decision to receive the grace of God, at that point we baptize believers in faith. And that comes out of this Reformation cloud the radical reformers. Church, there is a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us that we are so ignorant of at so many different points that have so much to offer and to encourage us with. 
So as we reflect on this, my question for us today is twofold. First, who does make up your cloud of witnesses? We've read the names of those that have gone before us just this last year, and many of them provide that cloud of witnesses that grew up, many teaching us in, in Sunday school, serving us as deacons, serving us in the many ways that God gifted them to. And they are a part of that cloud that continues to encourage us. Many of their family members are here today and friends. And while on one hand there's still a sadness and a grief that we walk through, there's also this sense that they are now in that great cloud to cheer us on, to encourage us, to point us in the direction of the race we're to run. I think of two former pastors here at First Baptist that are a part of that cloud of witnesses. And you certainly don't have to be not living to be a part of that cloud. Preacher Halleck in his legacy of, of Bible promises and, and discovering the promises of God and living out those promises by faith. And Dr. LaVon Brown, who led this church through a significant, transitional, important time in the life of Baptists saying this was going to be a church that affirmed the role and the place of women in leadership. And you need to understand that that distinguishes First Baptist Church of Norman because we honor the call of women to serve as deacons and to serve as ministers in this place. They're part of that great cloud of witnesses that goes before us. Who else is a part of your cloud of witnesses? Is it a grandparent, a, a parent? Is it a brother or sister? Maybe an aunt or uncle? Maybe it was a coach or teacher from some time in your past, a Sunday school teacher, another pastor or minister, a friend. But all around you is that cloud of witnesses surrounding you to, to encourage you to move on. But church, we must also ask the second part of that question. Whose great cloud of witnesses are you a part of? Parents and grandparents, are you a part of that cloud of witnesses for your children and for your grandchildren? Spouses, are, are you a part of that cloud of witnesses for your, your spouse? To be there as an encouragement to them, your, your life a witness of your faith to instill and to motivate and to encourage your spouse I think of our kids hope mentors our kids hope mentors that invest themselves an hour a week with at-risk children in one of our neighborhood elementary schools just to to help them with some homework but mostly to to build relationships to be a part of their cloud of witnesses Barbara James is, sings in a choir so faithfully as one of our Kids Hope mentors, and it's been so awesome to watch a relationship develop and grow through the years. She's a part of this young lady's cloud of witnesses, and I suspect will be for a long time, if not forever. Whose cloud of witnesses are you becoming a part of? Are you taking the time to invest in and to love not so that their eyes can be fixed on you, but so that you can help them fix their eyes upon Jesus. Church, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for of this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us in Scripture through the Reformation, 
and through our lives even today so that we can run the race, so that we can untangle ourselves, so that we can endure and fix our eyes upon the Savior and the Lord, so that you, so that I, do not grow weary and do not lose heart, but that we can endure and finish the race. Let's pray.